Hi, Matthias. Uh, welcome back. And uh, what I recognize or what I what I noticed is that I have a couple of your books on my shelf. So I was curious. And then I double check that I have a couple of SOA books. I remember one is Orange, so I forgot to pick it up. But uh, yeah, so actually I read several of your books without knowing about you. Oh, really? That's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. The last time we had a uh, conversation regarding uh, Cumulus and the microservices and um, what's uh, always interesting, you know, the modularization or not. And uh, this was one of my topics and I think also yours. There are, you know, very, uh, there are a couple of ideas how you can modularize your application. And, uh, but before we start with the modularization, I always ask myself why we, should even do it. So I, I can't actually, in, um, I have to admit, I always tried you know, to prevent the modularization because most of the project, it was just used because they could modularize and not because there was some benefit. So uh, what's what's your opinion about modularization or what's, uh, yeah. So let's say you would create your own pet projects, whatever you like, you know, for your hobbies. Is modularization something you're thinking first or, or, or what's your thinking process here? Well, to be honest, uh, I'm a great supporter of modularization. I believe that, uh, well, software should be designed out of reusable building blocks. Mm -hmm. Now, um, certainly it depends on the complexity. If we are building a relatively simple software, then modularization it's not so important however if we are doing large projects it can become or it becomes more and more important mm -hmm. uh, even more so if we look at the enterprise architecture for example if we have a large or larger company uh, and then we look at the at the software architecture of their information system uh, then modularization becomes quite an issue let me give you an example. We are currently working with uh, one of the larger retailers, uh, retailer companies. And uh, the, the problem that we are currently solving is particular is particularly related to modularization for uh, because um, um, this, this retailer has several uh, channels, uh, such as physical stores, then they have uh, uh, B2C uh, website and web store, they, they, they have a B2B web store and so on. And there are certain parts um, of the system uh, which have until now been, well, they have not been designed as, uh, as reusable building blocks, for example, pricing. Uh, they have a really complex uh, algorithms, how the price is calculated, and they have a lot of promotions and everything else. And well, uh, unless this is a central building block, which is reused, so a modular building block, which is reused by all the different channels, uh, if, if this is not implemented in such a way, then it really gets messy, you know, then you have to either pre-calculate prices in advance and copy them to different applications, or you have to, well, uh, to, 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 to have these algorithms for calculating prices implemented on several places and so on. But, but this is just a simple example. No, but it's a very good example. So I was, I was in a very similar project. It turned out this was insurance. And it turned out that the insurance policy was calculated several times, you know, uh, depending on department. But for me, it is not modularization. It's more like, you know, some, uh, let's say, a business guru, someone who who isn't even a programmer, but really knows how, how the business operates. He says now, you know, our insurance policy has to be calculated once, period. And if one mathematician changes his mind, then it should be available immediately to all apps. And in your particular case, there should be some, you know, I don't know how to call it, product owner, not even product owner, someone who knows retail very well and says, okay, if you would like to be the best retailer, our strength has to be flexible pricing. And the pricing has to be calculated only once, done. And all applications, all modules have to use this pricing. You know? Yeah, right. This is right. like this yeah. is like uh, if you if you were let's say in a government, there would be one module which cares about the laws, 
period. You cannot just invent your own laws. It's mine. If you would copy the pricing module, it is a it is a bug. It is not even modularization. It's like you know the the business idea is not implemented one to one. It was some you know developers tried or or copy and pasted the code, which is a mistake. Yes, I agree. So what yeah. I what I would see in your case, I would create a pricing monolith which cares about pricing, and the other monolith are calling the pricing monolith because they have to reuse the pricing, you know, functionality. Okay. You know, this is the, okay. because if we if we switch it back, what I see in projects, I have to deal with consultants, developers. Now a little bit less because you, you waste time somewhere else, you know, creating YAML or whatever. But let's say in the, if we, there was before the YAML time, right? So um, then developers were bored, m- maybe, and they tried to introduce modules without any business backing, you know, l- logging module configuration module and whatever module and i said okay if we are in retail business why we care about logging yeah we are retailers if we're in amazon i would expect a shopping cart module i would expect you know pricing module or delivery module but if someone tries you know starts to to create their own data layer module something is wrong with the project because they spend more time thinking about the technology and less time about the business right well, this is this is. I certainly agree with you. Yeah, uh, modularization has to be done in a well well thought way, and you don't have to overdo it. But still, um, well, um, uh, I, I think it's something you should follow in most projects. Well, uh, how to design the modules? What is the granularity of modules, and how to separate the, the so-called business modules, or, or how should I say, yeah, modules mm-hmm. which are directly related to the business domain of the software? Mm-hmm. How to how to separate this cross-cutting logic? This is certainly something which is which is quite important. And uh, I also don't like uh, to have such cross, cross-cutting logics such as, I don't know, uh, database handling module or logging module or something like that in, in any projects. Uh, because I think we have, today we have libraries and frameworks that take care of this. Exactly. Yeah? Exactly. Yeah. If, if I have a cumulus, you know, I don't care about transactions because transactions just happen. Uh, uh, right. So this is what I meant. So cross-cutting concerns are... I, there is no more AOP, I would say, because it's a part of the platform. And no right. one, I would say, creates Java SE apps anymore from scratch. So you, sometimes, you know, CLI is okay, but I mean, if you have a service, it's always easier to use something existing. And uh, yeah. business business modules, you said, is interesting because uh, I call it business components. And for me, it is like uh, a Java package with a business name. So um so what I do in in my projects I only allow top level java packages with business names and these are my modules and maybe so this is also a monolith because what if we start programming all the business packages or business modules or whatever we however we call it uh, all the modules are inside a jar or war so from okay. outside you would say this is a monolith but for for a good reason you know we save a lot of time at the beginning and we always can decide then after refactoring. And refactoring, by the way, means just copy the code over and hope it compiles. So this is we don't even try to have interfaces or whatever. It's just simple code. If the code is simple, refactoring is easy. This is this is my approach, right? So not OSGI or whatever, and hoping it will work. It would never work actually. And then um, we will create then um, it, let's call it microservice or however. So a standalone process with a couple of business modules. So this is and this works surprisingly well. And I always had to fight, you know. With modularizers in my project, but no, always wanted to use an OSGI or whatever framework, and and uh, the complexity never never paid off so far. I saw that. Yeah, he, he, here is where I agree with you. Actually, uh, well, um, w- w- how we are approaching this is you, you have this logical modularity and then physical or deployment modularity. So, what, what I think it's very important that even smaller projects have this internal logical modularity. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you pack them into a single executable jar or whatever packing methodology you are using, yeah, but still that you separate the uh, uh, responsibilities of each module, well, whether this is a component service class package and so on, uh, and that you define 
the interfaces between them. It can be then local Java interfaces, no problem. You can always refactor them to, to REST or, or, or mm-hmm. other protocols and make them work in a physical or deployment mod- modular topology where you pack each module into a microservice. But should you do it from the start? Depends. You know, mm-hmm. it depends from the size of the project and particularly, well, to be completely honest, yeah, at least we, we don't have so many projects where we would foster modularity just because of technical reasons such as scalability and so on exactly. in the microservice development. However, uh, in, in, at least in projects where I work, um, having physical modularity through microservices often paid off with parallel work yes. so that different groups or, or, or teams could work in parallel on, on, on different functionalities. And once they have the ability to, to, to uh, build uh, and deploy the code as separate microservices, so almost no dependencies with other teams, it definitely accelerates and, and makes, makes the development faster. Okay. You are absolutely right. And this was actually my question I wanted to ask you right now. Are there any large projects out there? Because for me, there are only small projects, you know, and every small project ships a physical, how you call it? Sh- physical module. So, you know, the we have in large enterprises, uh, a large project would be actually a project which uh, comprises several teams which are smaller and in the best possible case, they don't even know each other, right? So this will be the best case. And they are, they are shipping microservices. But if you look at the microservice from the outside, you know, from, the, from above, it would be lots of duplication. There will be no alignment regarding this, like, you know, separate apps, like a chaos, actually. And the, and the difference, I would say, right now is because small projects can create a single something. The single something can be simpler. And uh, a few years ago, the enterprise architects tried you know, to oversee all the projects and try to create a reference architecture for everyone, which uh, right. didn't work. So I would say what happened right now is uh, the modules inside or the smaller monolith is still monolith because a small team, let's say three, four, four or five people are shipping a simple monolith, which is can be actually quite complex. So uh, I'm really thinking for f- I would say what was five years, 60 person projects. Now there are five to 10 developers, never more. And, and, and the rule is more three to, in my world, like three developers to five, even you know, in the large enterprise companies. And if there's a project with 60 developers, I was thinking, okay, maybe it's something not, not right there, right? So it's um, because I cannot just imagine 60 developers working on a thing so the the, the chat, what what you i would do first is to create 12 teams you know which ship 12 microservices 12 monoliths so i would say the diverting is interesting because i think the modularization is completely dead in a team so what do you have you have a monolith with business packages so the internal structure should be beautiful well structured simple you you know you recognized uh, according to java names what's inside and uh, but there is no you know no factories abstract factories all the all the idea that a class should be replaceable is no more needed. So if we have you know several deployments a day, I can replace the class five times a day without reconfiguring a factory. So you know this is this is this is no more necessary. I would say so because everything becomes simpler. There is no, I would say all the almost all the gang of four patterns right became part of the platform. So like a factory of dependency injection. Right, decorator. Right. We have uh, right. transactions. Right. So, so whatever right. you looked at, the book is already part of the platform. It's a matter either of convention or just a single annotation. And even you know the stability patterns like circuit breaker, whatever resilience patterns, are also part of the platform. So there's actually nothing else to do from the te- technological perspective. And and then the challenge is to just you know to think in business terms, right? But this is good, actually. I believe this is good. For example, at least in, in Cumulus EE framework, what, what we are trying to do is to provide all the necessary framework parts, so all the patterns and all the tools and utilities which developer needs. Yeah. yeah. Still, uh, well, still what, what I would uh, suggest is that code is... Uh, designed and then implemented in such a way that different mm, mm, parts are structured 
yeah. in such a way that they can potentially also be deployed separately. Yeah? Yes. And of course, today we are talking about microservices as a way how you can deploy them separately, but not necessarily. If you are using uh, app servers, this can still be VARs or ERs. Yeah. Uh, 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 but it depends whether it's one or two or three or several in an application. But what we learned so far is that um, deploying uh, things separately, for example, as a separate microservice, makes sense if the building block that you are developing is used by some other part or, or, or team or so on. Uh, in this case, it, in most cases, makes sense to, to, to build it in a, as a separate deployment unit. So, for example, as a microservice, yeah, probably uh, in a few years we will talk about functions, but nevertheless, uh, because then uh, those clients which are using this functionality, they don't depend on the whole application of yours. They, they depend on a separate module. And for example, if they have a development environment, they can simply take the Docker image where only this component or this microservice is there and they can set it up and they don't mess with all the other complexity, which is there in your application, but they don't need it. Yeah. And these are the, the, the scenarios where we foster the microservices and actually uh, uh, this concept of separating the modules and packing them separately, not using the deployment monoliths. Yeah? I'm absolutely with you. So for me, the, a module is a Docker file, and uh, 10, 10 years ago would be a war. So I started to do 2005, 2006, a war was a module. And then microservice meant to me one war is deployed on one single server. And, and then, of course, I did it for five years. And one point of time, you know, you notice that. And I noticed a little bit later that actually if you always, you know, have to, to ship one war on one application server, you can skip the deployment phase because why you need dynamic deployment if there's only one-to-one -one relation. But what it means if the module is a war, let's say, or a jar, we don't need to use interfaces for segregation internally because what I still see, you know, you have two modules and there's one interface and one, or let's say non-module, module, one package, Java package, and one class injects the other class and some still from time to time developers try to introduce an interface and the problem if you introduce an interface you cannot name the implementation properly so they call it impl and it's okay if you call it impl right. it's over right because but how you would call the, the next thing impl2 or what's your strategy there right so i would say because the 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 modules are coarser i would say so the the, the modules now are small apps so inside the module, you can write simple code without any, you know, layer translation. Nothing is actually required because no one cares about that. No one cares anymore whether, you know, our exception is, uh, is separated or no, or whether we are separating, you know, technical from application exceptions because at the end of the day, status code and HTTP codes are this which what matters and not to know the exception. So because of the REST and ASCII and the WAR, we got actually the ultim ultimate module, right? We can swap right. the entire runtime. I could swap, you know, Quarkus with Cumulus, and I don't care. So, and and Quarkus could be JDK 1.8 and Cumulus JDK 16 with complete different architecture as long as the ASCII is the same. I don't care. Which is good. Very yeah. good. Very good. Which is just, actually very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I try to torture yeah. you a little bit because you are, you know, the the, the modularizer, and um, I I try to explain this in in my project. But what you what you mentioned is like physical modularization and logical modularization, right? Yeah, I said it like that. I don't know if these are really the exact words, but you know. But but this is perfect well, for me because the new words which I really like, which is means for me the logical modularization, which means uh, nicely named Java packages. Is very important and i have let's say per physical module five to ten of them but i okay. tried i okay. tried to avoid to avoid the number of physical modules which are wars or jars and what i see what i think what will happen is my opinion is this year it really happened that more and more companies try uh, really noticed how expensive clouds actually are so yeah. whatever you are doing, it costs, you know. Would you like to have Elastic IP address? It costs you money. Would you like to have a NAT gateway? It costs you money, real money. I mean, uh, it can go uh, fast out of control. So, and uh, what I see, if you would just, you know, deploy a lot of microservices, you will spend 10 times as much money because every microservice, regardless how small it is, it not, it's not only, you know, the running costs, 
the complexity is brutal, really brutal. I, if you try, you know, to to create your own VPC, you did it probably for 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 Asia or for for AWS or for whatever cloud. Before you even ship your microservice, you will spend probably one day, you know, fiddling with VPCs, NATs, and uh, subnets, and 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 ciders and stuff like that. This is what we didn't have before because there, you know, it, everything was already set up. So we we just you know we could put the the microservices to production. But now we need something like. A module is not only a Docker file. A module would be a Docker file plus probably availability zone where it where it belongs, right? And even you know the old firewalls and NAT rules, you also have to specify in the clouds. Otherwise, the services are not able to to communicate with each other. So, and because the complexity is higher and higher, what I would suspect next year, you know, back to monolith a little bit. So, so we push more stuff, more logical module to one physical module to make it. Um, Surprising a little bit more reasonable. Well, uh, this really depends, I believe, to where you deploy. You know, uh, for example, we, what we are working now is we mostly deploy to Kubernetes mm-hmm. environment, and here, on-premise. you know, uh, well, on-premise or cloud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and w- what I really like with Kubernetes is that, well, uh, it really makes no difference if you have a cloud-hosted Kubernetes on I don't know on Google or or Amazon or Azure. Or if you have an on-premise uh, deployment, uh, what you really need to do, you have to. So you you have those Docker files with microservices, and then you have the 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 uh, Kubernetes uh, deployment descriptors, uh, and where you configure how the deployment, how the communication, everything else goes on. And well, this works wherever the location of the Kubernetes cluster is. This is the smallest now, problem. This is now, the smallest problem. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you that if a company has a cloud-based, I don't know, Kubernetes cluster, they need to configure it, but they need to do it once actually, and then they can deploy different applications there. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to say is that once you move to Kubernetes, yeah, uh, then uh, Maybe it makes sense to 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 make uh, microservice a little less uh, coarse grain. So have more microservices. So so to to make it simple, if I would deploy to 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 classical virtual machines, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not talking about app service anymore because in in our Cumulus E framework, it's been now more than six years when we. When we decided to have a framework where we don't need the app server anymore, we we simply embed the runtime environment into. Let's a say microprofile yeah. runtime. It's very good. This, yeah. Right. Right. Because because this this really makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And once once you do this step, yeah, you 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 make a well you make a huge step towards um, I don't know short um, runtime uh, 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 flexibility and so on. But 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 don't um, let me let me get back to Kubernetes. Yeah. And uh, w- w- once you start using Kubernetes, yeah, and uh, all those functionalities it provides. So, for example, health checking, automatic restarts, uh, uh, um, this um, port autoscaler, and so on. Um, well, then it starts to make sense to have a little more microservices than if. To, 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 to simple virtual machines. And the uh, only grail here would actually be to have a code where you can specify, for example, uh, whether you separate uh, three or four business functionalities and uh, build a system where you have three or four different microservices or you pack everything together into a more monolithical deployment. Uh, if, if you know what I'm trying to say. No, so no, basically that that the code would be structured and written in such a way that you can have several physical deployment units so you can you can you can build and package it as as several microservices or if you have a runtime environment where you don't need that you can you can put this together into into a monolith yeah, yeah. Uh, th- th- this would be an ideal opportunity but in practice, you have to deal a lot with configuration, deployment, descriptors, uh, 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 I don't know, uh, POM, XML, or this whatever is, this is, this build tool you're using. 
That's yeah. not a problem. Even Kumru is all with me. So the app servers don't. I would even argue if you use you know something like Payara or Cumulus, it doesn't right. matter. Both are as productive as you can get. I would say because uh, the only difference is in Payara, I would ship you know the image to ECR to to AWS once and then just push the wars. And with Cumulus, I will push the jar all the time. But because uh, Docker will recognize the layers and will just layer this as well, uh, th this is not a problem. And even Kubernetes doesn't matter anymore, I would say, because what I noticed is what you need is container orchestrator, and um, and or something which starts and stops your your uh, your uh, uh, Docker files, right? Your images, and um, and uh, because you have to pay for Kubernetes all the time, most of my clients don't use Kubernetes actually because they have to pay, oh, really? for, yeah, for the control plane, and this is crazy because you said whatever. All you said is is right, but the next question is no. You actually need three Kubernetes clusters. You know, you need something like staging, production, and stuff like that. And the next story is: Would you like to share the Kubernetes between projects or not? Should every project has an own Kubernetes cluster? You know, or if one l larger cluster? And then, if you have a larger Kubernetes cluster, you have to think: You know, how, how big is it? And you have upfront, you know, um, by the EC2 machines. So you have to know roughly how big it is and you have to patch them and so forth. And uh, this can go, you know, you have to do it. And the next thing is Kubernetes is simple if you are in public cloud. So if your service is publicly available, if it runs in a private subnet, it gets more complex. So you need the nuts and all the stuff and, and you need some time. So you need someone who cares about that. What I wanted to say is, for instance, what Amazon has is called uh, ECS or Fargate. And uh, Asia has ACI, Asia Container Instances. And uh, Google has some Google Container Instances, I think. I forgot the name. And uh, and uh, and it works like Kubernetes. It's even simpler. You don't need the YAML. But there is health check. There is the scaling. Everything is the same. ACI is a little bit uh, from, from Asia less capable than the uh, Fargate from ECS. And, uh, but still, it is even simpler than Kubernetes and cheaper, way cheaper, but because you don't have to play for the control plane. But still, you know, the, the configuration, uh, you know, subnets, how many projects are in a subnet, availability zones, HA, you know. You have to have everything in two availability zones. So what it means is you have always to configure the ALB. Whatever you're doing, the ALB have to be able to talk. If you have SSL, right, <laughs> everything goes a little bit more complex. And what I wanted to say is that the complexity of that is way more than the POMs, Cumulus, or whatever. So what, uh, what, uh, what, what makes the complexity in the clouds is no more the POM, Java, or application servers. This was way simpler. You know, the entire thing can be very complex and tedious, you know, uh, because we are responsible for more than before. Before, everything was in a data center, was set up, and now, you know, the cloud is empty, so you can do whatever you like, but you have to do something, you know, and um, whatever you do has also a business impact because it can be cost more or less. So I have the problem, you know, clients ask me what to do, and I have to, to say something. Okay, if you go to the public cloud, use Kubernetes, it costs so, so that much, and or use this, is a little bit less expensive, but these are the trade-offs. But uh, what people expecting from the cloud is like a way simpler deployment where you can say, okay, here's the applications, run it, and it's managed by someone else, which is absolutely not true, except, you know, for very simple cases where you are running Minecraft server somewhere, this is okay, right? But if you if you have a more complex application, it is interesting. Well, yeah, uh, this part of the infrastructure as a service layer, or how should I call it, yeah, this can get quite complex. But, um, you know, um, actually, how, how we do it, if, if we are using a public Kubernetes in, in the public cloud, then uh, we almost always use one Kubernetes cluster for all the applications okay. that the company has. Okay. And this setup, uh, this setup overhead is then done once. So okay. you have to configure all the networks and everything else. Um, now on the other hand, it, what we also do, we always set up CI CD. So we automate the, all the deployment procedures and everything else. But, um, uh, going back to your questions, how many uh, environments you need if you have a Kubernetes? What is really uh, an interesting part, and which which you know uh, which motivates me a lot is um, once you go to the Kubernetes, uh, and once you uh, implement all the fault tolerance patterns and make CI/CD uh, work, and then have all the monitoring tools in place and everything else. 
then you actually can start uh, to 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 um, go with one single environment. Uh, what I'm trying to say is so. Uh, you you don't need to have three or, or two or three separate environments such as test and user acceptance testing and production anymore, but you can go with your updates live into the production environment. And we are currently testing this in, in, in a few um, real-world large-scale projects. So basically, um, if you have, you, you know, what, what I'm trying to say is um, there are several aspects. Uh, one of them is how you can deploy new versions of your software directly into the production. Uh, and if you are using the microservice architecture, of course, this means that uh, uh, an application will have more than one microservice. So the deployment will, will have to uh, deploy several microservices. Yeah. And now challenge one here. So the first challenge here is how to set up the system in such a way that each team can deploy its own microservice without waiting and 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 syncing with the other teams. Yeah. Yeah. And and this this is a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Already this is a challenge. Yeah. However, uh, uh, now well, uh, it takes quite quite some time, particularly if you want to implement this in an enterprise environment. In a, in a larger company or something like that. But so far we have been successful in quite a few cases. And, and this, this is really, well, sometimes I even say once, uh, until you don't, uh, until you are not able to deploy each microservice of your uh, application and several applications which you are using separately. So without waiting, without syncing, without uh, uh, doing all the dependencies manually, you are not using the true microservice architecture yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm with you um, um what and, you refer to um, in kubernetes what uh, we also did s s uh, several um similar architecture for a bank what, what what you could do is you could use the namespaces for staging right so you can have a project which uh which is visible for dev it's a dev project and then you have uh you have the same the same kubernetes cluster with uh separated namespaces i think is the proper name this minus n and but the uh production was a separate hardware cluster and uh, always because of compliance reasons whatever there was no question right. about that this right. was right. What, what what we had to do and um what we also had is no different docker registries so we have one docker registry mm -hmm. for uh for uh, or image registry for the dev and int and then one from prod so and the prod pulled you know the docker registry and the cicd was available full-blown cicd in int and dev and there was just a deployment cicd in prod which was automated with user approval and so forth so okay. um okay. This, 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 okay. this this i'm with you so I, I actually i think we have absolutely the same opinion and i would say a larger project for me would be five such microservices because we have five teams Okay. Yeah, okay. five microservices. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and in uh, in the case of Cumulus, so I, I have to admit last time, um, so in a recent project, I use a lot of Halidon and, and Quarkus, and um, and this is the same as like Cumulus, there's almost no difference. Uh, I mean, from the architectural perspective. Similar. It's very similar. Very, very yeah. similar. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, I mean, from the Java perspective, it's already, you know, you cannot streamline it a lot because it deploys locally in a second and, and it doesn't matter actually, right? So, um, right. Cool. and, uh, and uh, then, you know, we, we push the thing to the cloud and so what it means is but still you know the one such a microservice per team is from architectural perspective a monolith if we would go to conference 10 years ago open this microservice and show the code the architect would, would say okay this is a monolith there are no osgi modules no interfaces nothing it's just you know it's just uh, just java classes which is a good thing so for me it is a good thing what i wanted to say is all the attempts you know with with all the modularization abstractions they, they they only increased the complexity and it was not a lot you know of benefit of that so i never this is where i agree with you yeah. certainly particularly if those microservices are well let's say not so complex you know yeah. if you have uh, yeah. so average complexity microservices you can go without internal modularization i, I yeah. definitely agree with you but naming is even very important more so, yeah. even more you know uh, we are we are what we are also seeing not in java but overall is that the object orientation concepts are fading away a little bit yeah. uh, at least in my opinion, Absolutely. I started with procedural programming and then 
working with object-oriented concepts, and I'm still a, a huge believer of object-oriented concepts, but still for smaller and simpler problems, let's say for simpler microservices, you can go without object-oriented concepts. Yeah. And some, some popular languages don't implement the object-oriented concepts strictly anymore. Yeah. But what I wanted to, 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 to come back to, to this discussion about these environments and deployment and so on, well, uh, if you would like to have an environment where you can deploy microservices, so once they are ready, deploy a new version and so on, what, what, what we learned is that without Kubernetes, without Istio, and without some other tools such as Flagger, it simply doesn't work. You know, uh, for example, if we, if you have, I don't know, you have five microservices, for example, one of them is pricing microservice and the team who, 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 who develops the pricing microservice makes a new version. Now this can be a minor or a major version. And now oh, 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 if this team deploys the new version into the environment, uh, the way we do it is that both versions are there. Uh, uh, simultaneously. So we don't remove the old version. We simply add the new version to the environment. Yeah. And then, and then you, you have those mechanisms, how you actually reroute the clients to the new version and you, you open the pipe. So in percentage, you know, you, you, you say 5% of the calls go to the new versions, the, the, yeah. the 95% go to the old version and, and so on. And then you monitor how it works, whether it works. Or, or whether the fault tolerance patterns kick in. And if the fault tolerance patterns kick in, you simply reroute all the traffic to the older versions, and then you know you have a problem with the new version. Yeah. Actually, uh, uh, tonight, to, today night, I, I optimized uh, uh, CICD, and this is what you described here, uh, is already available on AWS, for instance, it's called ECS uh, Blue Green Deployment. It's just... Well, a, it, 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 there is no external tool necessary. And what it does is, this is the CI-CD pipeline, which externally controls the load balancers. And uh, if the health checks not, um, doesn't kick in, it just rollbacks the entire thing to the, to the, to the last version. So this, uh, and, and this is without Kubernetes, but it's a part of the cloud. It works perfectly. So what I wanted to say, you know, many of the cloud vendors uh, or some of the cloud vendors just, you know, try to replicate what Kubernetes does and, and 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 this is now part of the platform. And uh, yeah, I know, and, I know, and, and, and I know. And uh, you said without Kubernetes, what? Uh, yeah, without Kubernetes, you are right because uh, in OpenShift it also worked perfectly. Works perfectly, for instance, because uh, Adam, Open, Adam, yeah. I agree, I agree. Yeah, but well, what I wanted to say is that uh, if you go with vendor-specific clouds, you have different solutions there. Yeah. But if you want to have an universal solution, you know, which works actually everywhere, you have to go with Kubernetes, you have to go with service mesh such as Istio, and you have to use some additional tools like Flagger and then feature flags and so on. And what I wanted to say is actually that what we are currently focusing is to, uh, we, we are using this in production already. This is not something to, mm -hmm. new stuff for us. We are using this in several real world projects. We have helped companies to, to set up such environments. We have helped to build teams which use this in day to day development. And it really works very nice. You know, first of all, it is vendor independent. So whatever you have on premise installation, you have cloud, whatever you have, it is programming language independent. So it works with Java and all other programming languages. No problem. Yeah. And what we are focusing right now, this is what I wanted to point out is to add, uh, this support to make it as simple as possible for each developer to, to our Cumulus EE framework. Mm -hmm. And this is probably uh, an area where, well, I, I'm, I'm sure other frameworks also work on that, even have some solutions on that. But this is, this is something which I believe is really important. And this is where we focus our energy currently. And, uh, well, uh, it's also something which really motivates me because once you set up everything right, so this is what I, what I was describing is just the deployment of a new version into the environment. But then you have to, you have to have in place all the other mechanisms which uh, allow you to monitor all the different microservices versions, have a change management on the versions. You, you have to know how you will uh, deprecate and remove the old versions, how you will add new versions. You, you really have to have control over everything. And it's quite complex. But this is, well, once you, you, you get it right, then you simply don't need 
three different environments anymore. You can then move more and more into a, uh, into a situation where you can live with one environment only. Yeah, because then, be, because you you created this with your framework or whatever you call it, because you you created an overlay over Kubernetes, so this is why it works, right? Because right, yeah, right, this is this is the trick. Right, but if yeah, right. and uh, two things. So I think we are absolutely on the same page with microservices now. Lambdas or AWS functions, or let's call it functions. So. What I think is uh, that functions are perfect, but not for modularization. This is more like a listener or a hook. You know, the, the, there mm -hmm. are events in the mm -hmm. clouds, and 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 mm -hmm. the functions are a great way to react to subscribe to the changes. And such a function could even invoke our microservice or monolith or whatever. So this is the functions. And so I see a new reaction. So you you are with uh, you have the same opinion or similar opinion, right? Because what I also saw is a project tried to break up a monolith in I would say I don't know. 200, 300, or 400 functions, and this was a mess. This was like in Java, we would have you know, one method run with object uh, input and object output, and no one knew what's going on. It was hard to debug because you know, it, 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 was, it was a mess. You could potentially replace a method, but no one, um, no one dared to replace the method because no one knew what happens, right? So there was no framework in place. But um, what, uh, what I played with, and this is a great, great idea, I already mentioned application servers, and I think you are doing something similar. So I would like to explain this first. Um, and uh, application servers, in other words, the shared deployment. And uh, and uh, but ten years ago or fifteen years ago, Sun came with something called Sun Grid. So you could zip a file or zip something which was proprietary. I never got it why they did it proprietary. Copy it somewhere, and it just ran. And I always ask myself, why such a war is not such a thing? So what I wanted to have is serverless application servers, right? <laughs> and, and, and what Payara did, Payara Cloud, they reused the cloud, uh, the, sorry, the, the, the cluster mechanism they had. And they became a Kubernetes operator. So they are able... With, it looks to you like Payara, you put the war and they are actually creating, you know, the pods for you and they use, you know, a Kubernetes as a low-level framework. And this is a great idea because this is exactly the opposite, you know, to the Quarkus and, 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 uh, and, and Helidon because they try, you know, to ship one small module and now it's your take, you know, to, to do something with it. And the Payara and the cloud approach is uh, just give me the war and we care about the infrastructure. And they have already some rollback functionality. And then I think this is great, great idea. And what is fascinating, we have two opposite approaches now. Something like Kubernetes Orchestrator, where you know everything gets deployed automatically. And on the other side, a very small Java cloud native runtimes where they uh, start and stop, you know, if you like. And, and both are absolutely microprofile compatible. So you can even have, you know, the same programming model and mm -hmm. ship one, mm -hmm. one small thing or just say, okay, I would like to ship today just a war in a server and, and, and Payara will care about that. So I suspect you are experimenting with Kubulus with something similar, right? Well, this is what Payara introduced is a really interesting idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and well, uh, it certainly makes sense. For, I believe it certainly makes sense for a specific uh, application. For mm -hmm. example, particularly if you already have a Java or Java E application, and then you would like to, I don't know, to to, to move it to Kubernetes in a, in a fast way. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure whether I would use it if I would develop a new application for that, but nevertheless, yeah. Regarding the functions, well, but um, but uh, Matthias, why not? If this is a micro profile, you know, I don't care. If this is Quarkus, I will put it to the war. It's just you know. If I have both, I could just ship an application as a to put it to Pyra cluster, and if I don't like it anymore, I can still start it as a standalone application, right? So it's not like a big difference. Yeah, that's that, that's right. That's because right, we have microprofile yeah. Java E, both the, the API is identical. It would be just you know whether it is a jar or a war. So the, I mean the the difference is a minor. Uh, the difference in the packing doesn't make uh, much. Uh, this, this is not the problem. That I, it's just that. Let, let me say it that way, how you would in, internally structure the application into different microservices if this is necessary. It really depends how, 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 how large the application is. It is really, I believe, a case-by-case -case scenario yeah. how to decide. But, but let, let, uh, this is certainly something to watch and see whether, whether, whether this will, will take off because the, the idea is really nice. It, yeah. As you said, it's just the opposite yeah. Yeah, of yeah. how... 
everybody else is approaching this problem yeah yeah uh, and regarding the functions that you mentioned well what i believe is that functions are sometimes bringing two things one is that you have you get this uh, uh no runtime environment or rear don't have to take care of the runtime environment at all yeah microservices already did a step into that direction but but functions try to do it uh, uh, even more uh, and uh, free the developer for all this mess with with the runtime and everything else but i think the standardization is missing functions are now really limited to a certain framework or to a certain vendor that you are that you that you have to choose up front and this is not good we we need something like a i don't know micro profile for 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 java microservices we need something like a i don't know function profile or something like that for java which would standardize how functions are developed and then they can be deployed on different frameworks or runtime environments or, or so on the other thing is that how functions communicate well whether you have this method invocation semantic or you have this event or message uh, or event driven semantic where very a function reacts on an event which happens somewhere and th these are two really different things because you can also microservices you can interconnect them through events for example using a kafka uh, topic or something like that and uh, uh, this brings a new dimension into how you develop then you you go more to to the reactive side of developing yes. and so on you you are certainly familiar with that yeah if you yeah. have kafka you know the something like a function is a is a perfect or a, or, or kinesis or something like this is just functions just shine but if you have, if you're thinking, you know, in microservice terms, or or let's say, as a Java developer, what is a function? Is command pattern, right? Yeah, yeah it yeah. is command pattern. Yeah. And yeah. now the question yeah. is, can can you just build easily and cheaply a complex system with just command patterns? And I saw such system in Java, so you can build that, but it is hard to understand what's going on. Because uh, actually, and, and you know, poison message and all the stuff we already had in JMS is a huge problem. And and there will be, you know, what we need a schema. If you get a schema, now the next discussion is, okay, we have a schema, we need diversions, or we are schema-less, so we don't need diversions. So everything we start again. So what I suspect, we get something like SOAP first, or I'm not even sure, like JSON first, and then we end up having, you know, uh, XML schema then, and then everyone will notice that XML schema is also not a solution. Because if the compiler doesn't work and we cannot consume, then I mean, it's, it's, we had the, we had the discussion already, right? So type safe versus not type safe, tolerant reader yeah, versus yeah. versus yeah. Uh, a tolerant reader pattern versus XML schema. But um, I think both are working um, great. But uh, functions for more flow or reactive and microservices are a great way to create fast and productive, you know just straightforward logic and and i would say for you know something like a database browser like crud applications which is a vast majority of all enterprises are building this a microservice just fine but then you get integrations i would like you know someone sends me a message sns service from amazon i would like to react to it so lambda is just perfect so ship a it lambda is. it reacts it for it and does something and converts what you understand and you calls you back and and this mix is not well understood right now because what I see in projects, they say, okay, monolith are bad without saying why. So my observation is if someone says, you know, we have to modularize and I ask why and there is no answer, it's already a bad sign. So, you know, it's not like you have to modularize, modularize because we have fun with it rather than we have a business problem and modularization helps help us to solve the problem. Yeah, definitely. It's the same as method invocation or event-driven semantics, you know? Yeah. What I believe is that an architect should, uh, the architect who designs the system should decide when to use which. You know, yeah. we have, for example, several several projects where we use this CDC integration, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and here, you know, you need Kafka and events, and it, they they really make sense. Yeah, and we we, we have also tried this Kafka schema, schema mechanisms. You know, and they, they 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 work quite interestingly, but somehow I cannot help myself to think that the history is repeating, you know, yeah. as you said, with, with, with XML schemas and, yeah. and soap and, and everything else, but still, yeah, you know, there are some benefits we, we didn't have those days 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah.
And also yeah. interesting, right? If you play with Kafka, yeah. then the next question is, okay, we need schema registry. How to get the right. schema registry? Oh, this right. is from Confluent. Where is, where is the source code? Uh, can we download? No, but we can build. I built it actually from source code. It, it worked well, but you have to you have to download three projects, you know, and 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 combine them together, and then you get you, which is working. You get the Confluent schema registry, but I don't think you can just you know go to, with that to your client. You say, hey, I built my own server, just run it. So this this won't fly. And um, but how it works is really great with the Avro, right? So it just points to the ID, and on the other one it pulls the ID. So this this works great. But um, but uh, for me, the schema registry in Kafka is very similar to table schema. Actually, the same because you even mentioned CDC, yeah, Debezium, for instance, CDC. Uh, you you yes. get for every table as a topic with the same structure. So for me, you know, this is exactly the same as the schema than in this particular case as the as the table schema. And we had the discussion already, right? No SQL database. Who needs schema? So 10 years ago, there was a huge movement. We don't need schema right. because it's hard right. to maintain. Right. And now we get schema in Kafka, right? Yeah, although this outbox pattern implemented by Debezium, we actually always do also a converter in between because it is too technical. You know, yeah, if you just exactly. convert the, the tables into Kafka topics, I think you are missing the point of business events. Yeah. What I'm trying to architect in every solution is to yeah. have the business events which represent some not not simple technical events that go directly through the outbox pattern out of the out of the, 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 the database table. But you know, this is another topic which yeah, we another topic. discuss. Yeah. Next time, if you like, in a half a year. Let's have a topic about Kafka and events. This would be a great topic. Great, this great. would be perfect. Would be the same discussion topic. like with and right. and the last thing about the outbox, I do the same because the Kafka topics or the Bayesian topics are way too big. You know, we get the old right. metadata with it's command again, right? C for create, U for update. So I parse it and create, you know, like a converter which reads that and creates then business business events. Very good. So, um, do you have any product to mention? Because you said we you solve you know the Kubernetes staging problem. Can we point you to you to, to a URI or something you have? Or if if your clients are interested in your services, do you have something? Well, this is what I what I mentioned. This is within the Cumulus E framework, which yeah. is our open source uh, Java microservice framework. Actually, we are extending it with with other programming languages as well. We have now Node.js and GoLang support as well. Yeah. Okay, so and we have also some very interesting extensions which go far beyond the micro profile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but on top of that, we have some other building blocks of the Cumulus platform, which is actually what what is our commercial product. Yeah. Oh, yeah. very good. Yeah. So I missed the, the the topic today, but it was a great conversation. So the suggestion is, I will invite you back in two months or whatever you you have after my deadline, maybe yours as well. <laughs> and, sure, and, sure. and 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 we will have one topic exclusively about Cumulus EE added value and this. You know the commercial features. I'm really interested in it. Have a discussion how you solved it or what's the idea, if you like. And the next session could be about events, if you like, or we can combine. Yes, both. that would be great. That would be great. Particularly this part, how you deploy on on Kubernetes and so on. These are, I think, some really interesting and innovative things. Very yeah. good. So I'm really looking forward. So thank you, Adam. Thank you very much. Where people thank can you. find you on on uh, you are hidden, right? There is no social reference, just Cumulus. Well, no, I have a, Git, uh, a GitHub account. You can find me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. So I will yeah. put the, your, no your list to the show notes. Right. Thank you. I can send you the links. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time.